What is up, everyone, and welcome to episode 457 of Combo's Court. And you know who it is. I am Combo, back at you, this time with a Phoenix Sun-centric episode of Combo's Court. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Also, rate and review the show wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Today's show, Gerald Bourget of Phoenix Sports joins in to talk Suns basketball. A great conversation with Gerald. Can't wait for you all to hear it. You could catch Gerald on Twitter at Gerald Borgay. That's G-E-R-A-L-D-B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T. You know you could catch me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. And catch me on Twitter at Combos Court. Same name as the podcast. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Gay, it's been a while, man. Lead Suns writer, Phoenix Sports. Welcome back to Combo's Court, man. What's new? I think it's been like maybe two or three years. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's been a while, um, but it's good to be back. Uh, just getting ready for Kevin Durant's potential return. We're not entirely sure yet, but uh, hopefully within the next game or two, we'll have him back out there. Staying on Kevin Durant, I mean, what do you think it means for the league if the Suns actually pull this one off? It is actually probably the year to do it if they could, but it would be interesting just to see how everybody reacts to a player just dropping in maybe a few games in the regular season and then winning it all. Yeah, it'd be kind of wild. Um, I don't worry as much about like potential league-wide ramifications because I feel like the Suns, some people branded them like a super team, and I just don't see it because if you were barely considered like a legit title threat before adding Kevin Durant, then all you're doing is adding Kevin Durant to a, a good team. Like I don't, the super team thing that's, it doesn't strike me as the same, but uh, it would be an interesting, it would make an interesting statement about the state of the regular season in the NBA. Um, I, I think lost in this discussion would be how good of a fit Phoenix actually is for Kevin Durant and his skill set, and how much better he makes them because he is such a good fit. Um, but it's not, a, it wouldn't be a great look for the other teams like, you know, like the Nuggets who have had basically more or less the same roster all season. They've had continuity on their side. You know, if a team like the Suns were to go out, make this superstar trade and, and go to the finals, uh, that would be rough for a team like Denver that, you know, they're what makes them so formidable. An opponent is that cohesion and having everyone healthy. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think too much about it because I do think like the Suns are I in my mind, once they got healthy, they would be a title contender before the Durant trade. And now adding him, I really do think they are built for a playoff run if they can just have enough chemistry to do it. Yeah, you say he's a great fit. It's interesting. It almost feels like with any NBA team, Kevin Durant would be a great fit. He's just yeah. that superstar <laughs> that could fit with any team. Two mm -hmm. things about Kevin Durant. He always comes back great from injury. And he could just really play with anyone. Yeah, it, it's very true. And, and I think he's one of the most adaptable 
malleable superstars the NBA has ever seen, which gets lost in all the discussion about, oh, he joined a super team in Golden State or he formed his own failed experiment in Brooklyn. Like the guy just fits in wherever he goes. He's played in a bunch of different systems with a bunch of different types of superstars and he's made it work every single time around. Um, And I do think that him and Devin Booker are a fantastic fit because Book has been on an absolute tear when he's been available this season. And that's going up against opponent's best defender. So you put Kevin Durant out there and now Book is going up against their second best defender. That almost seems unfair for those two to be able to work off each other like that. Yeah, I feel like it's back to whatever Devin Booker does. It kind of flies underneath the radar. He's still Mm -hmm. actually a very young player, even though, you know, the Suns have been great the last few years. What have you seen from his development this year? Because I, I think that's something that nobody's talking about. Yeah, I, I think like if you look at his numbers in March, he's been on an absolute tear with or without Durant. They've only had him for three games, obviously, but Book's still averaging like 33, 5 and 5 this month um, on like 58% shooting. Like it's he's been lights out. Um, and I think this year, especially the last couple of games, he's shown a more of a dedication to attacking the rim. Um, because, you know, he hears a lot of what people say about when he and the Suns complain about foul discrepancies and how they're more of a jump shooting team. They don't get to the basket enough. I, I feel like he's taken that upon himself to kind of lead the charge and saying, OK, no, I'm attacking the basket now. And I do think earlier in the year, especially he's shown um, more of an advanced understanding of the defenses that are thrown at him in terms of traps and double teams. He's gotten really good at not just passing out of those double teams, but kind of manipulating the defense and throwing the ball exactly where it needs to go in those situations. Uh, And that's something he'll have to do come playoff time, but maybe not to the degree that he has in the past, because when you have Kevin Durant out there, guess what? If you double Booker, you're asking for trouble in those lineups. So point Booker is a real thing, huh? It. Uh, I don't know. I struggle with this one because people <laughs> people hate point book out here. And I'm not sure why, because he's a pretty good passer. Um, but I think it's because when he has to play that role, he sort of, you know, he has to take on the scoring and the playmaking a lot of the time. Um, but I do think now that KD is here, if you throw a book at the point, if you need to, if Chris Paul's injured or just not playing well, campaigns being unreliable, like you can get away with him being your lead playmaker for shorter stretches. CP3, from uh, point book to the last true point guard we probably have at the NBA. I mean, you've been getting it to watch him all season. Obviously, he had his injuries. But how much do you think he has left in the tank? And what kind of performance do you feel like he has to have in the playoffs for the Suns to win it all? Yeah, I think he and DA are kind of the biggest X factors in this because with Kevin Durant coming aboard, obviously, they're demoted down a peg in terms of their importance to this playoff run. Um, And I think that's huge for CP three, because you look at his numbers, like he hasn't been scoring a ton. Um, You know, he's getting to his mid range spots a little less frequently, but part of that is because the Suns have played him off the ball more this season. They've wanted to, uh, they've emphasized the importance of having other guys initiate offense a little bit more um, so that when they run into playoff defenses that are trying to take the book out of CP three and books hands, like they're able to still run their offense around that. Um, so I, I think it did come with a bit of an adjustment for him. He's posting great catch and shoot numbers, um, really solid three point numbers better than the last two years, but it is an adjustment process. And I do think it's a situation where he can, now that Durant and book are taking on the scoring, now that DA's gravity opens things up, 
he can pick and choose his spots a little bit more and, and focus on facilitating. You'll notice his assist numbers over the last month have still been really strong. Um, and I think that's huge for the Suns. He will need to knock down a couple of big open threes when he gets them. Um, and, you know, he's he's lost a step, clearly, like defensively. He's not the same guy. But I still think if he's like the third or fourth best or most important player during a playoff run, I still think he's going to be able to surprise some people with the extra spacing he's going to have. I'm really happy for him with um, all the State Farm commercials he's done over the years because <laughs> I was actually at a commercial recently, the Google Pixel uh-huh. commercial. And I'm just thinking, like, what are his total career earnings just from State Farm? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Do you, do you have any idea, like, the kind of – like, because it's been consistent, I feel like, for the past 10 mm-hmm. years. Yeah, I, it, it, he's been uh, churning <laughs> them out, and I honestly don't know when he has time for it. Luckily, exactly. he's no longer the president of the Players Association or whatever, so he has a little bit more time. Um, but you know, the power walking commercial is just an hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. The face he's making, he, he does a really good job with that one. So, um, you mentioned DA, um, I know it was a small sample size with Durant playing. And I think a common opinion, I think a common opinion about how it was going to go for Deandre is that everything would be wide open for him. But in that small sample size, what did you see from Deandre when he got to play with KD? Yeah. I mean, he, he openly admitted, like he kind of struggled a little bit with that adjustment because a lot of the Suns offense doesn't do him credit in terms of like his gravity his actual impact because the Suns do run a lot of pick and roll and there's still people that look at his shooting numbers that look at his numbers and say oh why isn't he getting more touches why isn't he getting more post-ups but I think he's actually first in the NBA in paint touches per game and part of it is because he doesn't have the skill set to put the ball on the floor and kind of close the gap when he catches it in the short roll between him and the basket. Like he'll pull up for the mid range jumper or he'll do a spin hook. Um, and he's really good on those shots. It's just, he doesn't have that mentality to put his head down, get to the line, pump, fake, draw a foul, that type of thing around the basket. So a lot of times when he's rolling down the lane and he's covered, like he's not going to get the ball and what he does by rolling that gravity opens things up on the perimeter. The Suns love to generate threes on the second side in that way. So it's one of those things where his impact is often greater than what his box score numbers represent. Um, He's, he's huge for the offense, but I do think when they had Durant out there, when they had book out there, when they had CP three out there, his dives to the rim are what open things up for a lot of other guys um, and it, and it will be an adjustment because he might not get as many looks around the rim. He might not get as many mid-range jumpers as he's used to before Kevin Durant. Um, but if he does the little things, if he commits to setting those good screens, rolling hard to suck the defense in, like he's going to make their offense unstoppable, even if he's only putting up like 10, 15 points a game. In your opinion, does he seem happier? And how is it going socially with him? Because there was a lot of issues in the beginning of the season. There was. And, and I think he's happier. I think... Obviously, he represents the opportunity in front of him. He was saying, you know, it it was kind of a stark contrast because before the beginning of last season, he openly said, like, I don't really like doing my big man duties. I don't like doing Mm. that. I feel like I can do more. And now a couple of weeks ago after the Kevin Durant trade, he was saying, I'm looking forward to getting back to that because I know what we have around me. I know the impact I can have if I do those little things. Um, And he even mentioned you know, when he did those things, they went to the finals that one season. So I think he's very cognizant of the fact that he's going to have to sacrifice a little bit more for the good of the team. Um, so he seems fine to me. And I, I think it's one of those things where winning cures all. So if this team has, you know, a championship run, a finals run, 
he's going to be just fine. If they fall, you know, drastically short first, second round, then maybe he looks around and says like, what am I sacrificing for if we're not even getting out of the first or second round? Yeah. That's not just DeAndre. I mean, Mm-hmm. Big men wanting to do guard things, that's not a new thing. It's just its yeah. just more acceptable now, right? <laughs> it is, and that's the problematic part for him is like guys like Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, even Giannis, like they have the handle, they have the skill set to do those things. DA doesn't. So like he's a guy that wants to shoot threes. He wants to shoot mid-range jumpers. He wants to post up and do more, show he can do more. But like until he develops a reliable handle or some post moves other than just, you know, turn and shoot like that's kind of what it is right now. Right. Terrence Ross. Um, I've been wanting him like, so I cover the magic for the believe podcast network. And I've just been saying the whole season, like this guy doesn't need to be here. Yeah. I mean, he needs to be on a contender. I was thinking Lakers that never happened, but I'm glad he ended up with his sons because it just didn't make sense for the magic or him. So it's great to see him on the Suns. I know there were some issues defensively right when he got there, but I do think a lot of that is because you're playing more meaningful basketball now. Right. So, you know, things speed up. You actually have to play defense. Um, what have you seen from him and how do you think he could contribute in the playoffs? Yeah, so the big question for me is whether he can survive defensively, honestly, because he's, you know, it's interesting. I wrote an article about this, but I got to talk to Monty, to him, and to Jamal Mosley when the Magic were in town about Mm. it. And and they all kind of agreed, like, the hardest part for him adjusting defensively has been adjusting to how often the Suns switch compared to the Magic, who Jamal Mosley was saying early in the year, we tried some switching schemes, but with a younger team, we kind of reverted back to fight through everything, just keep it simple. Um, and so Ross was saying, like, when he first came here, he was struggling with, okay, when do we switch? When do we not switch? How are we communicating these switches? And there are a couple of, like, obvious mistakes where he thought there was going to be a switch and there wasn't, and the guy just, like, blew right by for a layup, things of that nature. I think he's gotten better about that. I do think just he's not, you know, he's never been a lockdown defensive guy. So teams are going to naturally try to target him in the playoffs. Um, but as long as he can avoid being the pigeon, he has more than enough offense and shooting to counteract what he's giving up defensively. And we've seen that recently over the last week or so. He's had some high scoring performances. And I do think the ability to not just put the ball on the floor and get to your mid range shot is valuable. But he's a guy that I think he ranked in the zero percentile in Orlando this season in terms of what percentage of his threes were open. And like he still was shooting at a 37% clip. So he can hit those contested threes, um, you know, with that kind of slow release of his, he's able to, I mean, a lot of his shots are contested, but Mm -hmm. he gets it up over the top of them with that rainbow release of his. So it like doesn't even matter. A lot of those contested looks might as well be uncontested. And that's a huge skill to have come playoff time when defense is really clamped down and you might not be getting as many open threes as before. Have you been seeing a steady progression from him from his first days there till now? I think so. I I think he looks a lot more comfortable defensively. I think the Suns' second unit has kind of ironed things out, which is really encouraging because they don't even have Kevin Durant to stagger with the second unit yet, which is something they were doing in those three games. So um, I I definitely think he's heading in the right direction and um, feeling more confident with the shots that he's getting. So I'm out of touch a little bit. Were they 3-0 in those three games? They were. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Kevin Durant undefeated. <laughs> yep. um, that sounds good. If, if they could do that in the playoffs, they'll win a championship. But uh, 
Nets basketball, are you keeping an eye on them? Because right when Mikel mm-hmm. got traded, I tweeted, it might have been maybe his around his first game with the Nets or right when he got traded, I have to look back, that I really think that Mikel could thrive in Brooklyn and his game could expand in a crazy way. And it did. I mean, the way he's playing, had, did you expect him to be able to play like this right off the bat with the Nets? I don't think I expected him to look like such a number one option in Brooklyn. I think if you look at his last couple of weeks or his last month with the Suns, the hints of a breakout were coming. Like obviously he was never going to be what he is in Brooklyn and Phoenix because Devin Booker is that guy. And then they just added Kevin Durant, obviously, but like McHale was hinting at this breakthrough. He was playing some of his best basketball, his most confident as a scorer. He was getting to his spots in the mid range He was running a lot more offense and being a playmaker even like I I think we saw the potential, but I didn't know that the step would be so immediate. And so like that dude looks like a number one option right now. And it's it's pretty impressive to watch. Yeah, it's crazy that nobody is untouchable in the NBA. Like if Bridges Mm -hmm. gets traded, really, Mm -hmm. like he'd be the last guy you think that would get traded off an NBA team. I think there's like one untouchable player in the NBA. And in my opinion, he's not the best player in the NBA. Many would think he is, and that's Giannis. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like the Bucs, there is no way that the Bucs would ever trade Giannis. And Bridges kind of feels like that in a way. I mean, obviously, he's not on Giannis's level, but mm-hmm. you just would never think he would get traded, you know? No, he had to have been, like, the number two behind Devin Booker in terms of who the Suns would and wouldn't trade. Like, Bridges is right behind Booker on that hierarchy, and I, and I think, you know, the Suns probably, let's be honest, tried to trade DeAndre Ayton instead of yeah. him. Uh, right, and the Nets, right. Nets didn't want any part of that, and rightfully so, because Bridges just has a higher ceiling in terms of being able to create some of his own offense, and we're seeing it now. Yeah, I mean, when I guess when KD's in the mix, like, everybody's tradable, right? That is true. That is very true. You don't often get to trade for a top <laughs> 15 player of all time in the middle of the season, that's for sure. Okay, um, you did mention Jokic, and this is not exactly Suns talk, but it is MVP talk. And mm. people were texting me, what do you think about this? Embiid not playing against Jokic. And the yeah. first thing I texted them was ducking smoke. And the funny thing <laughs> is, like, I didn't even see Park's take. And then all of a sudden I saw that, and I totally agree with them. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think that could shift some of the mindsets of the voters when they're when it comes to MVP? I think it could somewhat, especially if he misses more games down the stretch here. Like, I... I think availability is a big part of this and in such a close race between three candidates that are all having phenomenal seasons. Yeah. I do think, you know, even a five or six game difference in, in how many games you've played could make all, all the impact there. Um, I was disappointed for sure that Embiid missed that game. I wanted to see the head to head, especially when that very day, you know, that article gets published. Um, right. His thoughts and taking some subtle shots at Jokic and, and stat padding and all this stuff. And uh, you, you know, it it doesn't look good for him that he played the second night of a back-to-back against the Suns, had a bad game against Biombo and then misses the next game. But I do think watching him in that game up close and personal, he didn't look right. And so I don't know if the, the calf or the tightness was the issue and if cropped back up or what, but he didn't look right. That's what it is. Like, I think he could have played, and I do think Embiid believes in his heart that he's a better player than Jokic. I wouldn't agree with him, but I do think that he probably was a little banged up, and he didn't want to go into that game 70%. Jokic get the best of him, (laughs) and then it did not look good 
for Embiid. So I think he was ducking, but I also do think Embiid believes he's the better player, especially when he's 100% healthy. I, I would agree with that, I think. <laughs> Gerald, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you? Social media, everywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at Gerald Borgay. You can read my son's articles uh, at gophnx.com. And then we also have a daily podcast. We go five days a week, uh, the PHNX Suns podcast for any people that are interested in more of the Suns perspective. Is that a challenge, a daily podcast? I've been doing two a week. I've been doing two a week for a long time. I do my live mm-hmm. shows with Coach Nick. I do the Magic podcast. But but five days a week on one team, on one yeah. team, that, that is tough, right? It, it can be tough. Luckily, a lot of our shows are pregame and postgame shows. So, like, if there's a, you know, they play three or four times a week, then that's three or four shows right off the bat. It's the other show or two of the week where it's like on an off day where you're like, all right, what are we going to do today? But it's a lot of fun. It's a fun challenge, at least. I'm sure you were happy not only for the Suns because it increased their chance to win a championship, but when KD got traded, you just had a lot to talk about, right? Like that that must have been great for you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We went live uh, literally that night. It happened at like 11 p.m. We went live within 20 minutes and we had our biggest viewed show ever because of that. So it was it it definitely helped boost uh, the profile of the show a little bit. (laughs) Sounds great, Gerald. Uh, Keep up the great work. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Anytime. There it was. Yet another episode of Combo's Court is in the books. Big shouts to Gerald for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, share this episode. You could tag me on Twitter at Combo's Court. Catch me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's only T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. And punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Let me know how you feel about the show wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Be on the lookout for episode 458 Combo. Out.